Thank you, Ray, for allowing me to be here. Thank you for allowing me to be here this morning. I appreciate it so much, the privilege, the opportunity. If you will take in your Bibles, if you will open them to the book of Acts, please, if you would do that as I begin to get acquainted with you in a little bit different way. This past January, I stepped away from Pine Bluff Baptist Church where I was working on my ninth year there. And uh, what we're doing now is we, we made an application, I think, from the Word, Acts chapter 13, where the church at Antioch sends out uh, Barnabas and Saul. It's on their first missionary journey. And uh, so we had the church send us out. We're not going on any missionary journey other than we've been commissioned to go to the city, the community around Starkville. And you're thinking, well, already 100 churches. Well, you're probably right. But uh, God has raised up. We saw the Spirit of God raise up a man named Lowell Thompson. And he's now in the role of pastor-teacher there at Pine Bluff, doing a tremendous, tremendous job. Uh, the reason we're going, a lot of details have come into this, but over the last few months prior to January, I was just really in lots of prayer as to what I might do the remainder of my days. <clears throat> so as I say this, I do ask you to, Pray for me and longevity, things of that nature. When I was 55 years old, I was in the patio. I've done many, many funerals, and I don't know if I've ever done a funeral that I didn't say from Psalm chapter 90. It's a song or a psalm of Moses, and it's from that we get in principle that we have been granted 70 years. If per strength, 10 more, 80 years. I'm not going to ask you to hold your hand up if you're 80 or anything, but be, know that God's blessing is upon you. When I was 55, I asked God for the 10 extra years per strength, which gave me 25 more years if God will answer that prayer. This past November, I turned a very young age of 73. And so if I get my 80 years, that means I've got, I'm pretty good at simple math. I've got seven more years. That's a perfect number. And I want to burn out like never before. We have been to numerous churches already in the Starkville area. The reason I say numerous because we don't stop at just Baptist churches. I've been in Nazarene Church, Pine Lake, which is semi-Baptist. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, Meadowview, which is Baptist. I've been to two major charismatic churches. One may be even Armenian in their thinking. A few there would be Calvinists, so y'all would probably be, be in line or whatever. But I go to receive. I've been to 
probably 13 different places already. And uh, I do go to receive because I still want to learn. And everybody, I think, has something to offer the brethren or the system. So we're doing that to receive, but I'm also going because I know most every pastor or either deacons or people who go to these various churches. And what my fear is, is that people are hearing week after week after week lots of good Bible truth. But when it comes to the message of here's how a person gets saved, there are numerous additions. As simple as water baptism or walking this aisle or the other two aisles or just add to it. Make him this, promise him this, ask him in, all those many, many things, and they are numerous, as you know. But to me, they are an addition to faith alone in Christ alone. I think that's what the scripture says, and that's where we, we must stay there. Because the confusion in the church today is very much Laodicean, at least in our country. There are places around the world that are walking so closely with God. Many thousands, maybe up to millions, are coming to faith in Christ. Muslims, those of the Islamic faith, are being born again. Major things are happening all over. What's not happening is the work of God in the United States the way it should be. Now, I heard a fellow say this once about himself years ago, but I think I'm applying that to me these days. We've been told to comfort the afflicted. I think part of my ministry these last years is going to be to afflict the comforted. And the reason is because we are stuck, ladies and gentlemen. I'm not speaking primarily about your church. You know if you're stuck or if you're not stuck. You know where you are at any moment. I'm speaking of the church at large across the United States, particularly the southeastern area of our country. I think we speak for everyone. However, we who grew up in this area, we've watched this area, and things are a lot like, like they once were, even when I was a kid growing up in Galilee Baptist in Little Gloucester, Mississippi. What we've seen now is small churches are getting smaller and they are closing, in essence, in terms of impact because of generational changes, people move, that's just part of life. But maybe we need to consider it may be the way we do things or the way we don't do things at times. I wanna ask you this first question, you answer it to yourself. I'm going to say one, two, I think it's three, four, five. Let me count on my notes. I actually have notes, so that may help the clock. 
the name of this message, if I could name something, would be the first part is doing the things I want to do. Every one of us in this building, by and large, do the things that we want to do. That's just the way it is. If you want to go hunting, what do you do? You go hunting. If you're a sports nut or something like that, I want to know every baseball score. What the basketball team do? My grandkids, at least the ones in Starkville, they're involved in gymnastics, two in gymnastics, track, band, drama, uh, cheerleading now. Nobody slows down. Let me just ask you this question. I want you to give me either this for yes or this for no. How many of you feel sense that you might be too busy? I'm going to go ahead and do this. Are we busy? Are y'all alive? Let me hear the response. <laughs> say, yes, we're busy. I know you can't shout too loud in the Baptist church, but just go ahead and say, yeah, I'm busy. Are you busy? Most people are busy. If you're not busy, you're probably just sold out to being lazy and you don't do anything. We're busy people. My question I write here is, how do we get so busy? How do we ever get so busy? First C I have is our culture. It demands busyness the way it is. Ladies have to work. Well, they don't have to, but we are if we're going to have the kind of house we want or if we're going to provide this for our children. The demands are overwhelming just because of our culture. We are the best place on, in the world. That's what we say. Are we the most spiritual place in the world? The answer is no. Because we're not after God the way we're supposed to be. We're too busy with everything. Our culture demands that. The second thing is our choices. Whatever the culture demands, I seem to go along and choose that. I don't know if y'all ever watch TV. I watch too much and I don't watch very much. I am hung up on Heartland, this Canadian show. Y'all like Heartland too? Man, they got so many troubles though. If they just let me write one strip, I could finish the situation and make it whole. <laughs> but I've fallen in love with horses. And I can't get one and put it in my backyard. It's in town and it's not large enough. But I love that show, particularly when they say something that makes sense. A lot of times they're in trouble because they're not anywhere close to doing it God's way. Just a little rabbit trail there. We're busy doing things. I spend time reading lots of books, but I hardly ever read anything that's not pertaining to giving me insight about God's Word. 
or the plan of God or what's actually happening and those kind of things. We choose certain things. And when the culture's on us and we're making those choices that the culture forces on us, the result in my mind, folks, is a something I'm calling convenience Christianity. It's like when I get around to it. I once did a message and I had hundreds of round to it's and I handed them to every person in the congregation and said, now you have a round to it. Get on with the program. I'm going to do this. I'll tell you one of my failures. I'm going to clean my desk off when I get around to it. I'm going to arrange that desk in a way that I can actually see my desk when I get around to it. And my wife, on occasion, she'll say, you know, you are going to clean your desk sometime. And I'm saying, you don't have to remind me every six months. I promise you I'm going to do it. Well, when am I going to do it? Let's think about the things that we do. We do things because we want to. To do things. What we see is a result that I call Christianity without commitment. I'm not talking about a lost person. Commit all you have so you might get to God. I'm saying those who have been born again know the Lord Jesus, have sat under pastor teaching for years and years and you know even how to study yourself. I hope you do. Studying yourself isn't getting a quarterly and reading it to the group that you're in charge of. Any idiot, any lost idiot can do that. I'm not saying quarterly should all be burned, just most of them. We need to be book people. When you look at the book of Acts, now just let me put this in context before you say, oh no, this guy is off the deep end. What I believe is when something begins, that's the best it's ever going to be. When God does something new, even whether it's give the law to Israel, when the church age begins, it is the way it was supposed to be. God is even upset when two people are lying and he says, drop dead because you're lying not to man but to God. Isn't it good that God doesn't cause everybody to drop dead? That's right. I wouldn't get to be here today. And I bet none of you would be here either. When things begin, the first phase it's as close to purity as it can get. And then you know what happens? As time moves on, and it does, we get farther and farther removed from the ideal of what God is doing in the moment. Are you with me? Do like this, or do like this if I don't have a clue what you're talking about. We're not where God wants us to be as a church. 
what's happening on Pentecost Day. Well, remember the Old Testament would tell us every Jewish man is supposed to be in Jerusalem three times a year. What are those times? Passover, Pentecost, Tabernacles. Three of the feast days. Passover, Pentecost, Tabernacles. And so there were literally thousands of people, Jewish men, in Jerusalem. Now I'm sure they were accompanied by family at times. The men had to be there, but if they wanted family, then the wife and ladies, ladies and the children went. And I don't know the details about that. The command was for the men to be there. Now, thousands of people, when we look at this, we see, I think it was 15 or 16 named languages or places of people who are representing however many people are there. It could be those are the only ones, but even if that's true, there are thousands of people. What happens? Crazy things happen. The Spirit of God comes upon the people in the upper room. And we're not going to talk about tongues, so calm down. Tongues manifested to this group of people. And they spoke in languages, dialect, so that the people from all over that were there in Jerusalem could hear things of the glories of God. I personally don't think it was evangelistic. I think it was to get people's attention because they could now hear something spoken to them in their own dialect. Peter begins to preach. We're not going to go through that first part. And I think I can answer all the questions in there, but that's not what we're about today. Peter begins to preach. And guess how many people come to faith in Jesus Christ? Well, verse 41 of chapter 2 will tell us. Verse 41 says, So then those who had received his word were baptized, and there were added that day, notice, about 3,000 souls. So in the upper room there was about 120 people. And now we have about 3,000 more added. There'll be a time when it says 5,000 men. That's not counting how many ladies and children are coming to faith in Christ. And then men and women. There's an explosion that's taking place. Now think about this. 3,000 people plus have come to the Lord Jesus. Now look at verse 42. This is the main verse, the main crux of what we're going to talk about for these few minutes. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, and to prayer. Literally, it's prayer in the plural. Prayers. Now, this phrase continually devoting. I'm not sure what yours will say. 
it's in verse 42, they were continually voting, mine says. Now, I want to impress you with how a southern boy can say a long Greek word. It's 12 letters long, and I'm going to say it just to impress you. You say it, at least the way I say it is, proskartereo. Proskartereo. You got that, don't you? Well, forget that I just said that. But what that word means is devoted, where nothing else comes before that situation. Here are the ways that it can be understood. This fancy word, long word as it is, it means to be attached to oneself, to someone else, to wait on someone, to be faithful to someone, to always stand ready for someone. In fact, in Mark chapter 3, verse 9, listen to this, a boat is proskartereod. It's set aside for Jesus to use it that day for his ministry. That boat, once it had been set apart like this, it was not going fishing that day unless Jesus wanted to go fish. It is a strong, strong word. Also understood as to busy oneself with something, to be busily engaged in doing something. I've already told you to be devoted to something. Hold fast, continue, persevere in something, spend much time in, steadfastly attentive to giving unremitting care, show oneself courageous for something. Constant readiness for one. So you get the idea that it is a determination. It's something that I am supposed to do. In Colossians 4 verse 2, the same word is used, but what it says is devote yourself to prayer. In Acts 1.14, the people in the upper room were devoting themselves to prayer. When you get to chapter 6, seven men are said, hey, find me seven men, the apostles, so that we might send them out to help the ladies, Grecian, Hebrew, who can't get along. A problem is because somebody's being cheated on their food. And we send what we call the first deacons. The word deacon isn't there, but the concept of service is there. I'm telling you what, when you read the qualifications of those men, it's more than I'm a good banker. Can I be one of your deacons, please? Full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. The first two that are mentioned, chapter 7, is about this person. What's his name? Stephen. Then Philip in chapter 8. You better have your stuff together if you're going to two groups of ready, two groups of ladies, and there's conflict going on. Wouldn't that make sense? Hey, I want you to believe that this Bible is so real. When you're reading it, you need to jump in the middle of it. And when you're riding across Galilee and you see just see Jesus Himself walking, just like the apostles did, the disciples did. Try to smell the air. Try to look and see what's actually taking place. We, in our day, we've got characteristics that just don't make sense. We just, we, uh, 
lukewarm or we go into crazy sin issues. This word I'm trying to tell you about, when you get to Acts 8.13, even Simon continued after Philip. Acts 10, verse 7, is where Cornelius, one of his men, is steadfastly committed to him. Just various illustrations. But when you look at the Acts 2 passage, here's what the church was devoted to. Please get this. They probably were busy too. But they were steadfastly devoted to apostolic teaching. That means the word of God. People were teaching. At that time, they were teaching Old Testament principles other than what the apostles were giving to teach those in Jerusalem who had first come to faith on this day of Pentecost. They go from house to house. They're proclaiming and they are administering the word of God to people on and on and on. I think a daily routine, in fact, it'll say that. They're trying to make a difference in people's lives. They're teaching truth. That's what we have to stand upon. Apostolic teaching. The next thing is fellowship. I grew up thinking fellowship was Kool-Aid and cookies. And maybe you did too. And maybe that might be still what you think it is. We're going to have a major gathering, wonderful teaching. We'll go to the fellowship hall and not one person will say anything concerning God, the Lord Jesus, the message, how can I influence you in the reality of the walk that we have? Hang on, please. When do you live the Christian life, folks? I got a buddy that says he thinks most Christians go to church on Sunday morning and then they try to figure out how to be good the rest of the week and then come back the next Sunday morning. How many of you understand that Christianity has very little to do with what happens at 11 o'clock on Sunday morning? Oh, we get instruction. We get to be with one another. But Christianity is all the time, all day long, every single day, no matter whether you are in Belmont or Iuka or Jackson, Mississippi or Juneau, Alaska, wherever you are, our walk is to be the same exact way every single moment. You're crazy because you know I'm not here. Every single moment, we gather to equip and be edified and to visit one with the other. This our the idea of fellowship is to get with someone, whether it's a few or you and a partner, and begin to talk about the deep things of God instead of simply remembering the points that Brother Ray mentioned as he went through his 11 o'clock hour. I'm not condemning that, judging that. I'm saying too many people, I know this to be true, too many people base their Christian life on one message each week. That is, if they even go each week. 
His role is to equip the saints for what? The work of ministry. Sometimes saints could care less about being equipped. See, if you're actually equipped, saints would begin to be the church. All of us, at least my age and a few younger, were brought up this way. We go to church, don't we? Next thing we realize is, oh, that's the church. And before long, the church is a building. And the only time you think Christianity is when you go to the building rather than I am part of the church. We are the church. It's okay to invite someone, a lost friend, to church because they'll hear the message of the gospel here because of your pastor teacher. It's a lot better to invite them to Christ yourself wherever they might be. How do you get where you can do that? Well, you begin to have fellowship, the depths of the scripture. Whatever that depth is, at the moment, you begin to use the iron sharpening iron principle. Everybody has something to offer. Everybody has something to give. They were steadfastly devoted to the teaching of the word and to the depths, that's fellowship, koinonia. That's actually entertaining the idea that Christ is in me and I am in Christ and so are my brothers and sisters. What can I do to impact other people? And then it says the breaking of bread. Maybe I'm wrong on this, but I think it's more than just visiting one another and eating. And if you feed me, I'll feed you next time. I'll take you out to lunch, but make sure you got to take me out tomorrow or at least next week. I think we're talking about the Lord's Supper, which was instituted by God himself, the Lord Jesus Christ. And during the Corinthian passage, he says this, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do so in remembrance of me. For some strange reason, we moved away probably the last 500 years from gathering to participate under the Holy Spirit's leading to remember the person of Jesus, his death. It also says, remember my death until I, what? Until I come. So we remember him and what he did, but boy, the day is coming. Instead of saying, as often as you eat and drink, most churches have gone to what? As seldom as you partake. So we take a Baptist route and we go quarterly. Or we'll go another route, even less. We'll do it on Easter and Christmas. Those will be the good days to have it. Most of the people will be here. We want to make sure they can participate in the Lord's Supper. My point is, folks, there's certain things we're supposed to be devoted to that we let slide away. A weekly meeting where you participate in the Lord's Supper constantly reminds you that when you come together, and like I say, I got opinions on everything, but I think the men 
are supposed to sit at the Lord's table rather than the table of demons through the whole week. Because if you're not listening to God, you're listening to someone else. So that means this, if you're not in the book, you're listening to the world, which is run by Satan himself. You make your decision based upon Fox News or maybe CNN, maybe not. You need to make all your decisions based upon what God's Word actually says. That's the preacher's business. He'll tell you once it says, no, you study the Scripture yourself. What's happened is, I think it was a man named John Calvin, possibly, that had the influence of changing the main gathering from the Lord's Supper. Don't hold me on this because I may be wrong. From the Lord's Supper to the teaching time where the emphasis goes away from the person of the Son of God to the person who stands right here. If you grew up in my day, you knew how to act when you came into church. You still know how to act. You still know how to dress. I consider not wearing a suit today, but I said, no, I don't want to offend the suit wearers. Where I pastored, I'd say, dress up or dress down. Just cover up. Don't come in here looking like somebody that doesn't present the person of Christ. I learned to wear this years ago. Put on your Sunday best as if that gets brownie points with the Lord Jesus. You'll probably ask, don't ever ask this guy that. What are you committed to? Remember the first, answer, first thing he said? What do we really do? We do what we want to do. Doing the things we want to do. Here's what the early church did. They were committed to things. And the final thing they were committed to, they were committed to prayers in the plural. Their mindset is one of prayer. Well, I'll pray without season, I understand. Well, do a little Matthew 6 praying also. Always take everything to God. If there is a missing element in individuals' lives, I'm pointing to myself and the life of the body of Christ, at least in the United States, it is prayer. That's what's missing. Prayer actually moves the hand of God, even a sovereign God. He allows us to participate, to ask, you're going to get to James 4, you're just in 2 this evening, but it's going to say, you don't have because you don't ask. So maybe we ought to ask. Chapter 1, verse 5 already says, if any of you, and really it's all of us, lack wisdom, what should you do? Ask of God. He can't wait to just throw it all over you. He's not going to do it in a way that makes fun of you. Ask for wisdom. Ask of God. God is the one who is wise. He gives us wisdom. If you don't have, maybe it's because you haven't asked. I need courage, Father, to open my mouth and witness to my neighbor. Everybody can say that. Ask God. Just like they did in Acts 4, asking for boldness. Just step out and 
do what I need to do and you, God, do what you do. I need to be doing these things. And I keep saying, I, 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 forget the I part. We. I'm not representing a pastor. I need to do this. I'm representing a person just like you who at a point in time came to faith in Jesus Christ. When he gives the commission, command, whatever we call it, make disciples. As you go, make disciples, baptizing, teaching, to obey. He didn't give that just to 11 guys. You know, Judas was already gone from that meeting. He gave it to all of us because in the prayer, the Lord's Prayer, the one we call in John 17, notice how he speaks to the Father. He'll say, Righteous Father, Holy Father. Three more times he just says, Father. So he's not repetitious in, Oh God, oh Lord, Father, 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 as if he needs to do that to be heard. He addresses him as he is. And then he says, I thank you for these fellows right here. Thank you for letting me have them. And then he says, but I don't pray just for them. I pray for the ones that are going to believe through them. You know what he's praying for? He's praying for me. He's praying for you. He's praying for the thousands upon thousands, maybe millions of saints since that time. The Lord Jesus Christ is even praying, he says this, that they may know, that we may know that you, Father, love them just like you love me, the Son of God. Verse 23, chapter 17. Go read it. Jot it down. Does it really say that? Go read it. Prayers, prayers, prayers. Pray for the lost. Pray for them by name. Pray that God will make them ready. Pray that you might have the guts to step forth and say something to them. Well, that's the preacher's job. Well, that's the preacher's job, but listen closely. In your circle of influence, you know people. In fact, you know a lot of people that Ray Burke could never evangelize. Here's why. They know who he is in this community. When they see him coming, one of their first thoughts is, oh, no. I can't wait to take him fishing. No, they're not thinking that. They're thinking, that guy, he's this, he's this Jesus guy over at First Baptist. I got to get away from here pretty quick. People get religious. Lost people get religious. I walk in a group sometimes and people quit cussing. At the Starkville Cafe, we have a liar's table and we have a cursor's table up in the front. When I go sit at the cursor's table, nobody cusses. I said, what's wrong with y'all? I thought I had to cuss if I came in here. Sat my wife down there one day. I said, Sister Susan, you got to say at least a couple of cuss words if you're going to sit here. Everybody laughs. But the idea is people start to get religious. And they get really religious around Ray but you know them, everything about them. And they know you. If you are real, R-E-A-L, with people, real with people. It's time to go, I think, so let's read through this passage quickly. They're devoted to these things, and notice what happens. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. It's okay to feel, guys. We are emotional. I don't want to place anything on my feelings. 
You ever get happy when things come about? Yeah, you can. I can read a. I can read a. What's that thing called? Hymn book. And thank you for having them up on the board so I could look at them and things like that. I can sing one song and be so filled with joy. I can sing the same song maybe the next day and I can be moved to tears just because of the truth that is there, that is there excuse me. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe and many wonders and signs were taking place. Notice through the apostles, not everybody else at this time, and all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. Same word as fellowship up above that we read first. Here's what happened. They began selling their property, their possessions. They were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Have you ever considered that the reason the government has taken over taking care of people because the church didn't take care of people, whether saved or whether lost. Just an idea. Day by day, continuing with one mind, and that continuing there is again that long 12-letter word. So they were steadfast in the temple. They were breaking bread from house to house. They were taking their meals together with gladness, sincerity of heart they were praising god they were having favor with all the people now notice the very conclusion the last last sentence here and the lord was adding to their number some manuscripts don't have the word church other manuscripts say the word for church the lord is adding to the church day by day those who were being saved. Let me ask this question. Has God changed? Do you think God would be adding to the church, this church even? Why not? Because that's what matters. Because this is where you are. What if your life looked like this? Where there literally was such love being expressed. Now, I will say this. They're in a situation unlike this church. Remember, thousands of people were there. And with all this happening, certainly they wanted to stay. And so a lot of things happened, like Barnabas selling land, giving money, so people could have money, excuse me there. Uh, so we're not sitting in the first century with everybody here. They can't go back home and things like that. But we are in the 21st century, and God is still the same. I believe this. If we got a little bit closer, maybe a lot of bit, if we got closer to the way God wants us to be in terms of these four things, where we truly are people of the book, not just a preacher teacher, but everyone steadfastly committed to apostolic teaching, that's the word of God. And if we spent time in fellowship, deep longing one with the other about things that were really important, praying one for the other about things that are really important, it's good to say, yay, such team won, this, that, or the other. But 
it doesn't have eternal purpose or meaning if we can have fellowship over things that matter. And then we can remember, you don't have to do it every week, but it's okay to consider. When you're in homes, wouldn't it be good to take time, just a moment, to say, let's think about Jesus, just for a moment. I don't think that'd be sinful. It may be something that would bring honor to the person of God. And pray, plural, always praying. I'm thinking if we were like that, maybe God might begin to add to the assembly, even day by day. Think about this. We look around and not many teenagers, no young folks. Does that mean we give up on all the young people in Belmont? Do the young people who are here, do you give up on your neighbors, your classmates? No. God can do anything. He, here's what we do. A group of us in Starkville are attempting to ask God for things that are impossible in our thinking. I'll share one with you and attempt to close out. It's going to be one of those finally, finally now, finally now. I'm getting closer. I don't know if you're aware of this, and I'm not trying to attack the person. But our mayor in Starkville is lost. Her dad, who owned a big portion of Starkville, a major businessman adding to the community many good things, was an atheist and died an atheist. The mayor now is his daughter. She is of the group called lesbianism. Very pushy about it. This is who I am. She's a very smart lady. In fact, she was in the Air Force. She was the first lady that ever landed a jet plane on an ocean liner, on a, what do you call those things? So she's not without sense. But you know what we're doing? A bunch of us, we're praying that a lesbian mayor will come to faith in Christ this year, 2021. Now, in my mind, as I think about it, well, that's impossible. I wonder how many people in the first century were asking God, and I don't know what the number may have been, but there was a guy named Saul of, Saul of Tarsus who was a hellion. He was doing anything and everything to destroy the way, anything to eliminate this group that calls themselves, we are people who follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Everybody is spitless in terms of their fear. He stopped on the road to Damascus. Why is he going to Damascus? To get more Christians that he might take them back to the prison and in times likely be executed. How many of them would be thinking, no chance that Saul of Tarsus would ever come to faith in Christ. Maybe there were a few who were praying, Lord, would you maybe bring Saul of Tarsus to faith? That'd be asking the impossible. But guess what happened? 
he becomes the apostle. Now, I don't know what your pedestal like is for Paul. I got him on a pretty high one myself. He doesn't preach putting the young apostle on a, what am I trying to say, a pedestal. He preaches everything but that. But maybe it's because he's so much like the Lord Jesus, we tend to elevate him. Right or wrong, please know that you have a message to people. People that your pastor can't get in the door with. How many relatives do you have that do not yet know the Lord Jesus? How many classmates, young people? How many employees or what about your employer? How many workmates? Where do they stand? One thing that always reminds comes to me is that people go to many, many, many funerals. Only seldom, very rarely, do you not hear that this person is in heaven. Because there's always going to be an Aunt Mary or nephew John that says, oh yeah, she was a saint. She was a wonderful person. She went to church all the time. Do you realize there are going to be people who go to church all the time and go to the lake of fire? Because to believe in Jesus is not to believe in Jesus plus my good works or my church membership or anything like that. That's why it's simple. And that's why the enemy can confuse so many people because it's become simple to faith in Christ without anything added to it. I would hope there would not be a long-time church member here, 20, 30 years, who's played the game. But if you have not simply believed the message concerning the Son of God, believe in him if you do that. And let's assume that everybody here, all of us are believers. Here's what I want to end with, and this is it. We have come to a service, is what we call it. The reality is, folks, the service begins right now. When you leave these four walls and get out into your community, that's what we're to be about. And when we begin to be like that, we will see God work. That's the way it is right here in this city. That's the way it is in my city. We're speaking of your life individually, my life. Where are we? Pray with me. Father, we thank you for loving us unconditionally. Thank you, Lord, that you love us because of who you are, not because of how we act, behave, or don't behave. Thank you, Father, for this group of people, how kind they've been to me to allow me to speak at length. Lord, I would ask that it would not be me that they would think they heard something from today, but maybe the Spirit of God will bring very clear direction as to how each of us are to be living life. We give you thanks, Father, for this time. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen.